Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area Download the app, the uh, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. Share it with your friends. And certainly, if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us two primary places on social media, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. If you could follow us, like, subscribe, share, help us out in that way, that would be greatly appreciated. Now, today, we Joe and I always talk. We, it's not just a line that we use about going into the breach, okay? Uh, Bishop Olmstead. He, he wrote a, a letter a couple of years ago to Catholic men to get up and go into the breach. Part of going into the breach is being honest about, about the differences and perhaps the lack of unity uh, that I think we're experiencing in the Catholic Church. Um, and Charlie Camosi, uh, who's joining us, has written a new book that's available at Ave Maria Press, One Church is the title, One Church, How to Rekindle Trust, Negotiate Difference, and Rec Reclaim Catholic Unity. We say in our creed that we are one holy Catholic apostolic church, one church, but there's a lot of voices in that church, and sometimes those voices could get heated. So we have Charlie here because we want to talk about that because I think the one thing that's essential, uh, for particularly for Catholics in America, um, is we don't have a unified voice. And even where we differ, we should be able to differ in a civil way, um, in, in, in a respectful way, and it, do, it doesn't seem, seems like some of that exists, but not a lot of it. So, Charlie Camosi, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Joe and Joe, it's great to be with you, especially on a topic like this. Absolutely. Now, quick bio. Charlie Camosi is a professor of medical humanities at the Creighton University School of Medicine. In addition, he holds the Monsignor Curran Fellowship in Moral Theology at St. Joseph Seminary in New York. He is a columnist for Religious News Service, The Angelus, and The Pillar. He received his BA, MA, and PhD, all from the University of Notre Dame. And he is he and his family reside in the great state of New Jersey. <laughs> now I'm no longer there, but I'll still call it the great state, leaving the state's politics aside. All right. I'm in Arizona. Everybody knows I moved out about a year ago, but my heart, I guess, is still in New Jersey. So Charlie, thanks again for coming on the show. With that, I'm gonna hand it over to Joe and we're gonna have a, a great conversation today. Charlie, we always begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Charlie, I guess a good place to start is how do you get interested in this? And also, I did some research, obviously, uh, before the interview. You're you're involved in what's called the Catholic Conversation Project. So I guess first tell us how you got interested in this idea of 
bringing unity. I think it's a great idea. Joe and I talk about it. They, there's statements out there in social media land, Catholic social media land, uniting the clans. People are talking <laughs> about this uniting the clans deal. So, I mean, we, we, we definitely try to do that in our way on this show. We bring in all types of voices. Um, and I, I, I think it's a great subject. So how did you get interested in it? And tell us about this Catholic conversation project. Well, I guess I'd start with just my contrarian nature. It may seem, it may seem uh, counterintuitive to say that you're working for unity is the contrarian thing, but I think that's true. I think, I think especially when one takes into account the, the breach that is social media that so many of us wade into the hellscape in some way that social media can be, including in Catholics, Twitter and social media, it is a contrarian point of view to kind of say, um, let's think of ourselves as one church, as being united in our diversity, instead of constantly sniping, constantly defining ourselves by opposition to the other, to the bad guys. I guess another thing um, was my parents. Uh, I had a very liberal, have a very liberal mother and a very conservative father. And um they would argue and still argue like uh, cats and dogs over all sorts of things, including Catholic things. Um, but it, there was never any sense that that argument about right and left was somehow going to divide them in a fundamental way. They, they always knew that they were united by their marriage. They always knew they were united by their family. They knew they were united by their common baptism. And I guess throughout my whole life, um, I've inhabited various kind of liberal spaces or conservative spaces, never thinking of those as primary spaces, but always thinking of my Catholic faith, my Catholic family as being uh, primary. And then I'll, I'll finish this point before talking about the conversation project. But when I went to do my doctoral work in moral theology at Notre Dame, I, I already had a sense of this because I was a high school theology teacher, but I, I studied in even more depth. The church's tradition can't possibly be made to fit in these kind of right-left, fight-to-the-death secular battles that are taking place in our culture right now. It totally transcends them and can actually unify people in many ways. And so I, I saw that as really an important part of who I was too. And then I helped with a few other Catholic theologians start something called the Catholic Conversation Project, which very simply was a group of Catholic theologians who were very divided on many things, but who came together in fellowship and aid and probably drank a little too much alongside too, and uh, and really had it out among the things we disagreed on, knowing we were united in our faith through it all. Are we not supposed to have it out, though, as Catholics? I mean, again, we're talking, you have to leave aside for a second. And Joe and I are on social media, Charlie Camosi joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're on social media, okay? We refrain from the, the bomb-throwing type things. But that doesn't mean that we don't have, we're Catholic. That means we're supposed to have honest, rigorous conversations, okay? Ask questions, all right? I think one of the problems uh, that we're experiencing uh, in in the in the Catholic world, anyway, uh, is if you ask a question, you're a bad guy. And I'm I'm talking about I'm talking about from either the left or the right. As soon as you ask a question, okay. In other words, that's a little unsettling, okay. What about this or what about that? Oh, you must be a trad millennial. You must be some zealous convert for Protestantism. You must be just a Vatican Easter, okay? And you and 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 only believe in that the church never existed before 1965, okay? Uh, Christmas and like you get all these sorts of labels. Joe and I say on the show, Charlie, all the time, okay? W whatever happened to being Catholic? Where the Catholic might imply that we have some differences on areas of prudential judgment, I guess is where I'm going, okay? And we can hammer those out. But it seems like as soon as you open your mouth, you, you, it, people jump right over. How did we get? How did we get this divided? I guess is 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 my question. 
Well, it's interesting. You know, if you just think of yourself as a church in the um, uh, this early part of the 21st century, you might come to the conclusion that we're really super divided, especially since the 60s, maybe you would say that we've really had this, you know, this unfolding of division. But I like to take the long view of these things. And that's where I start my book, actually, is even going right back to the pillars of the church, Saints Peter and Paul, right? Um Peter, uh, <laughs> Peter comes to Antioch, right, and uh, meets Paul, and Paul is pissed at Peter. He thinks Peter has been a hypocrite with regard to all sorts of things, and including eating with Gentiles. And he says, "I told Peter off to his face. I told Peter to his face he was wrong." Now, I mean, that's and and the early church, as you know, had these huge disagreements about how to interact with Gentiles, how much of the old law to follow, if should it be any, should it be all of it, what should it be. And we ended up in a situation where not only was the disagreement resolved, but saints Peter and Paul are celebrated together as the pillars of the church. In fact, um, I made my uh, my discussion guide for the book that I just finished with uh, with Ave Maria Press into a novena to saints Peter and Paul. So you, so you take a place in prayer over five over nine days, and you discuss with with other groups. So if anybody's interested in that, they can also find that at the Ave Maria website. But but and then you go further than that. You can go to the Council of Nicaea, right? And we we're arguing three centuries later about who Jesus is, right? And Arian bishops, Arian bishops dominate the church after the Council of Nicaea. Today, we say the Nicene Creed as if it's just perfectly obvious. Well, of course we agree on all this stuff. I could go on, but uh, just let's put that in some historical context. Yes, we have disagreements. Yes, we have serious divisions, but maybe we don't have those fundamental divisions, right? Those ones about the very fundamental dogmatic um once of the faith, again, where you have Arian bishops after the Council of Nicaea sort of going at it with the other more orthodox bishops. Now, you mentioned social media, and I'm on social media, too, and I'll just briefly say this. Um, there, there are good people like you, Joe and Joe, who are on social media, who are asking genuine questions and wanting to engage in a genuine way, maybe even having genuine arguments and disagreements. But my experience uh, with Catholic Twitter is probably 70 to 80% of it isn't about that. It's about bomb throwing. It's about trying to like perform for your side. It's about trying to define oneself by opposition to the bad guys. And that's where I think the real problem lies. It, it's not seeing ourselves as that family, that Catholic family, where we do have the serious disagreements. We ask the serious questions and we go at it hard, but it's it's done out of love for your family, not out of bomb throwing. Charlie Camosi is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello, we are way in the breach. Charlie's book out from Ave Maria Press, One Church, How to Rekindle Trust, Negotiate Difference, and Reclaim Catholic Unity. I'm going to hand it over in a second to Joe Rosanello, but I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about, Charlie. And again, um, I have some pretty thick skin, so I don't care. Um, I don't like atheists. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. I don't like, I, not that I don't like them as people. I don't like their tone. I don't like their strategies. I don't like their tactics. Okay. Particularly modern atheists. All right. Bomb, speaking of bomb throwing, the bomb throwing atheists who, you know, they drop something and then they they run. OK, so one of them is Neil deGrasse Tyson. OK, and he's all over social media. And I think he's a very condescending guy. OK, I agree. Especially the I way agree. he talks about religion. So I, I just I just nicely uh, posted uh, on Twitter. I said NDT uh, should debate Father Robert Spitzer. Okay, who's a scientist, and Joe and I are going to actually interview him, I believe, tomorrow. Okay, um, so uh, Father Robert Spitzer, 
Uh, but he won't, and this is where I, I kind of get a little, you know, whatever I said. He won't debate Father Spitzer because Father Spitzer will squash him like a bug. Okay, that's why I said. Okay, now leaving aside what you might have thought I get as a response from those who like Neil deGrasse Tyson, is where I'm going with this. The response I got to my to my to to my response was, Father Spitzer is is a theistic evolutionist um, and modernist, and he should not be listened to. I just wanted to throw that out there to you, Charlie. That's where we go. So I want somebody to defend Catholic, the Catholic worldview against the atheist, like Neil deGrasse Tyson. And the Catholic comes in and says to me, we can't trust Father Spitzer because he's a modernist. That, I'm sorry, that doesn't that does not get us anywhere. That gets yeah. us nowhere. Fast. Quick comment before I hand it over to Joe, Charlie. Well, what you really have outlined there and highlighted in a really important way is just how much these labels that we slap on people and on movements and on ideas can hide much more than they reveal right you slap a modernist label on somebody you 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 slap other kinds of labels right i mean uh, the the opening title and, and i do this throughout the book i actually use those labels as a way of kind of entering into conversations the opening chapter is on um uh ba vatican two boomers right spirit of vatican two boomers and that's a moniker you hear and just in a dismissive way uh all the time um but if you can dive deeper i also have trad millennials on there i have christmas and easter catholics but it, but the book is actually trying to divide to go beyond those dividing labels and dive into the reality of a person i to be honest with you i wonder if you sat down with neil degrasse tyson and it wasn't a performative situation on social media what that kind of relationship would look like there's so much performative nonsense on social media including i agree from neil degrasse tyson who is so condescending um and but also from those folks who responded to you right do you think those folks are actually interested in a discussion about evolution they're Charlie, not let me let me i'm going to just say this to you okay because we're yeah. on the topic okay joe and i have caught heat in the past Joe and I, if you want to, if you want to slap a label, okay, um, we wish we could just be called Catholic, but unfortunately, that's why we're having this conversation with you. People might ask, well, what does that mean? Joe and I consider ourselves to be conservative-minded people, okay, which means obviously we want it. We we cherish the tradition of the church going back two thousand years. We're conservative in our view of church teaching on faith and morals. We we don't think that there's a need for any innovation or things like that. Okay, we we have had on guests. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, Christopher West talking about theology of the body. Okay. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. Joe and I got attacked. They were calling us heretics. I said to people, oh, where is the heresy in what Joe and I were talking about? Or what Christopher, oh, there wasn't any heresy, but Christopher West is a heretic. I mean, so you can't even have a conversation. If you don't like us because we're interviewing anybody from Charlie Camosi to Father Robert Spitzer to E. Michael Jones, I don't care. If that's why, how you're going to judge us, then guess what? Then don't watch us, all right? Because we're going to interview everybody, and we're going to have frank conversations with all these people, all right, and get to know their ideas. Sorry about the rant, Charlie. No, but, no, but, no. You, Let me just know. say this. Let me say this very briefly. Uh, if Christ is not the center of all that we're doing, to call ourselves Catholic is just ridiculous. And Christ, if, if Christ is at the center of all we're doing, we're imitating Christ. And Christ himself spent oodles of time. In fact, you could probably argue he spent most of his time with people that he was constantly getting in trouble. What are you doing hanging out with those people, right? Those are not the people you should be hanging out with. You shouldn't have those conversations. You shouldn't even dine with those people, right? Because they're evil and bad and awful. And we know who you are because you're dining with those people. So let me just finish with that. Yeah. Thank you for that, Charlie Camosi. Joe Resinello. 
Charlie, you're a good guy. I could tell one because you're from New Jersey. Number one. Number two, immediately, <laughs> immediately when you came on, you were like, "Call me Charlie. You're a good guy," and I agree with so much of what you said. A lot of social media is about pride. I want to be right. I'm going to prove you wrong. And if our hearts aren't with Christ, to be honest with you, we're not bearing any fruit by that. So much of it, I tune out. So much of it. Um, Another thing you said, and it's very real, there are groups within the church. Clearly, there are Vatican baby boomers. You you mentioned a number of them in the book. Trad millennials, zealous converts, Christmas and Easter Catholics. We can go on and on and on and on and on. This is the angle I want to go with this, and I'm interested in your thoughts. There is one church. There is one church. I don't like titles because our church is everything's written down. Now, I'm kind of like a Forrest Gump type, and I say this because I do what I'm told. My father drilled that into my head. I say this to my kids all the time. I do what I'm told. I believe in authority. And I do what I'm told. Our church, it's all written down. This is not a storefront church in Newark. No offense to people who go to one. But I'm just saying where the guy makes everything up as he goes along. That's not the Catholic church. (laughs) So this is what I'm going to throw out to you. And I'm interested in your thoughts as well as Joe's. A lot of these divisions come down to six things in my book. And if people would be honest with themselves with these six things, the division disappears. One, lack of obedience. Are you obedient to what's being taught and written down? Two, poor catechesis. Our Catholics are horribly educated. Uh, Horrible. You know this better than I. You were a Catholic school teacher. I went to Catholic school and Catholic graduate school and Catholic college. We're poorly catechized. Three, there's a lack of clarity with our bishops. Four, there's a lack of unity amongst our bishops. Five, there's a lack of consequences when people don't do what they're supposed to do. And I could talk forever about that because I come from a corporate structure and I understand what consequences are. And believe me, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, I am screwed in plain English. And lastly, there's a lack of exercising the authority which is given to people in the church, from the pope to cardinals to bishops to priests. You are given authority from Jesus Christ, and it needs to be exercised, and it's not. I believe if all those things were ticked off accurately, there is no division. Joe, you gave you gave you gave Charlie a a big <laughs> a big no, meal but there. I I'm just yeah, laying it no, out. No, because no, like, no, I, I know, but Charlie, I, those are I, I'm with Joe. Go ahead, Charlie. I love your comments. I, we love your comments on that first. Well, we, it's going to take a while to get to all those. No, right? you so don't maybe, have to yeah. go bold by bold. But I'm just throwing out the, what I just tried to paint is. Is there really division, which goes along with what you're saying? It's one church. A lot of the division comes from a personal issue. Like, like I'll use an example. I don't look at anything uh, after 1957. I don't even consider it. If if Benedict XVI wrote something, he's not legit. There are people that believe that. And what I would say to that person is, you're wrong because the church doesn't believe that. And then I'll flip the coin. There's somebody who's in some charismatic movement that wants to basically – change the uh the our father or something like that i would say well you're wrong on that because the church says so 
Charlie, your thoughts? Yeah, so many thoughts. Um, I basically agree with with what you said. I would let me come back at you though with with a nuance that I think. Well, let me just say this: I do think there's a lot of disagreement in the church and division in the church on these matters of doctrinal issues. I mean, the um, the uh, Eucharistic revival itself that's that's now underway comes out of a realization from the bishops, they should have realized this decades ago, that only about a third of self-identified U.S. Catholics believe that the Eucharist is literally the body and blood of Christ. So we, so, you know, what does it mean to say, okay, um, you know, we're one church, but like two thirds of these are mass going Catholics even uh, don't really believe what the church teaches about this fundamental thing. Vatican II called it the source and summit. Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. So, so there are some disagreements that are about those things and we need to work on those things, but there's another layer here and this, this, I, and that really, you know, this is where I think the right-left secular binary is just so pernicious and just invades the church. It's really a devil in the church, um, and it's idolatry within the church, frankly, is over public policies. And see, th this is where um, there's so much disagreement. And I just finished teaching Catholic social teaching with my seminarians the last semester. We had some good, fun arguments and discussions about this, too, among, among them. The Catholic, the Catholic social teaching and doctrine is clear about matters of faith and morals, right? Like there's a right to health care. There's a right to a living wage. There's a right to unionize. But um, when we talk about what the policy, policy should be at any particular moment in time, prudential judgment has to be part of that discussion, right? What does a living wage look like in New Jersey? Um, I, I've lived in New Jersey the last 10 years before that. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin where every, everything shut down for two weeks because of deer, deer hunting season. Uh, the living wage in Paris Township, Wisconsin, shouldn't be the same as the one uh, where I live in New Jersey, right? If we're going to be talking about what is just, right? If we're talking about justice. So, and that's just one example of many where there's lots of disagreements, uh, and they often come from this, I think, kind of idolatrous focus on the left and the right, like, I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative, and those things really dominate rather than a commitment to the faith. And then those those uh, idolatries play out in our debates over public policy. But the church actually just provides the faith and moral foundation and says to lawmakers, go make a prudential judgment based on your particular circumstances and the signs of the times in this moment about what the law should be. That's why the church says there's a right to health care, but doesn't say what that health care system should look like, right? Um, and again, the right to unionize, but does that mean every single... Um, Every single uh, worker has the right to unionize, even public sector unions, where there's a whole lot of other questions to ask about prudential judgment there. So, so I think actually a lot of the disagreement is not about matters of uh, faith and morals about the doctrine, but about those kind of policy type debates, which do involve prudential judgment, right, and do divide the church maybe even more than debates about the Eucharist or about, you know, who can get ordained or not get ordained. My sense of things, I'd be interested to know what you think, is that the policy debates about what the law should be in the United States or in New Jersey or Connecticut or Wisconsin or Texas, those are really the things that are dividing the church more than the the other kinds of stuff. Let me, let well, me let, me, say, let me, let me, go ahead, Joe. No, because I ahead. agree with what you said. And by the way, that's why the church is not political. Uh, the church believes in healthcare, so do I, 100%. Um, the church believes in a, in a wage. I absolutely believe in that, 100%. Um, and a lot of those things are prudential. The church believes in immigration, 100%, and so do I. 
I don't believe in merit-based immigration. 100%. I agree with that. With that said, though, there are issues that are intrinsic evils. And this is where I go back to authority. The bishops have spoken. There are five of them. It's a document from 1998. John Paul II has written about those evils as well. Are people listening? No, they're not. Do our bishops listen? No, they don't. And well, this Joe, is let me, where, I, hold on, but this is my thing. Go ahead. Then there's consequences. If you guys work for me, okay, I'm the boss. I am the managing director. There's. T I don't want yes men. I want people who are going to have differing, differing opinions. I want to talk. I want to hear your opinions. That's the stage of management, the discussion stage. But then it funnels to me because I'm the boss. I make the decision after I listen to you, after I listen to you. And because I'm the boss, you have to listen because I've been given authority. That's not going on in our church. Now, on certain things, the church has spoken very clearly. No, one lis no one's listening. No consequences. No unified voice. And frankly, my co-op that I own is run better in some circumstances than I see with regard to addressing things. That's a problem. I want to I want to jump in after the break. Charlie Camosi joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe because we're going to the break in a couple minutes. I, I love your comments on what Joe just laid out because then I want to offer something based on what you what you just said when we come back from the break, if that's okay. Sounds good. So no, go ahead, Charlie. Um, I, I wanted to co comment on, on your comment on what Joe oh, just stated okay. about, 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 about clear statements. Yeah. Clear so, statements from the bishops. On, go ahead. Go ahead. So when it's a matter of faith and morals, right, the bishops need to be absolutely a million percent clear. I totally agree with that. When we get into questions about prudential judgment and public policy, and this is where I think some people object to the bishops not speaking up, I'm actually in favor of their kind of keeping their powder dry, because if they say one thing in one moment, a particular moment in time, and then 20 years later, the moment has shifted, right? And the prudential judgment changes. Then the bishops kind of look like they don't know what they're talking about and they're changing their views on these things. And that, so I think we agree, right? There's all sorts of prudential judgments, even right now. What what kind of laws should Catholics be per pursuing about abortion? We agree it's intrinsically evil. We agree that babies should be, be protected with the law just like any other human being. But we disagree about like, say, should we work for a total ban? Should it be 15 weeks? Should it be heartbeat? Should there be exceptions? There's all sorts of prudential judgments to be made based on the current moment we're in now. If, if a bishop were to say, it's got to be this kind of law or nothing, you could end up with a worse situation, right? You could say, well, Catholics can't support anything but a total ban. So a 15-week ban would never pass. A heartbeat bill would never pass. And these babies who would otherwise be saved end up dying because that law can't be supported. Same thing with immigration, same thing with healthcare, same thing with lots of things we disagree about from a prudential judgment. So I'm all for the bishops and authority figures being absolutely clear about the dogma, the underlying truths. Once we move into the realm of prudential judgment and public policy, though, I do think it's good to kind of let that play out a little bit. Thank you for that, Charlie Camosi. Joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're discussing his new book, One Church, How to Rekindle Trust, Negotiate Difference, and Reclaim Catholic Unity. That's available at Ave Maria Press. Also, Charlie, we're, as we talk about social media. Where can our audience members uh, learn more about you and follow you, let's say, on social media? Yeah, probably the best place is Twitter, at C. Camosi. So at my first initial and last name, C-C-A-M-O-S-Y. 
All right, and when we come back from the break here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, Charlie, I'm going to ask you about people who want to pick and choose, okay? Um, and, and it's based on what you said uh, prior to this uh, most recent comment where you, where you were responding to Joe. So let's, uh, let's, let's just take the break, and when we come back, we'll jump right back in. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. We're way in the breach with Charlie Camozzi. We're discussing his new book, One Church, How to Rekindle Trust, Negotiate Difference, and Reclaim Catholic Unity. Here's one of the things. Joe and I try, Charlie, to remain level-headed. I guess it was uh, Kipling that said, right, if you could keep your head about you and all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Uh, we, we try to just have a frank conversation and we are family the catholic church is a family okay and brothers and sisters many times get into some real bad arguments okay now that's not to say that they're both right there is a truth an underlying truth if you're going to ask questions if you're going to have conversations they have to ultimately lead to truth which we know as catholics is christ okay um now how you get there obviously you know is I mean, one of the questions we're asking here, here's my thing. You mentioned the, the the social doctrine of the Catholic Church, okay? And this is where Americanism, like Joe and I really have a problem with Americanism, okay? If I read Rerum Novarum, which I recommend to any Catholic, okay, if you want to understand a little bit about what's going on, on the more on the economic sphere or in the economic sphere right now, go read the hundred and some odd year history of, of the social teaching of the Catholic Church, Rerum Novarum, Quadragesimo Anno, and Centesimus Annus, all right? So three great popes, okay? Pope Leo XIII, uh, Pope Pius X, and, and Pope St. John Paul II, okay? Very clearly states, as you guys mentioned, family wage, okay? You need to have access to health care for your family, okay, for yourself and for your family, and all these things. Conservatives don't want to hear that, Charlie. This is where I'm going with this, okay? Conservatives don't want to, oh, that's communist. See, now you're slapping labels on something that's very true, okay? In other words, and I go back to Rerum Novarum, particularly where it talks about, yeah, sure. Yeah, you're a business owner. You, you have the right to your profit. You also have rights, duties, and obligations. Oh, you're a worker? That's right. You have a right to a family wage, but you have rights, duties, and obligations, okay? When you start cutting that, you know, that, that, that double-edged sword right through the middle of the political labels, okay, you're hated by both sides. Ann Coulter will call you a communist, okay? Because she's called Pope Francis a communist, okay? Um, still have others, but we'll leave that aside, okay? Because because you might, let's say, for argument's sake, believe that a, a, a man should be able to go out and earn a family wage to raise his family, and workers are, are, are supposed to provide him with that wage, okay? Um, and, and, if you, and if you're a liberal, you do the same thing with other issues, okay? It's all about, like, this Americanism has really deeply infected us where you can't even make that statement. Oh, if you're if you're for uh, uh, somebody has a right to health care, you must be for Obamacare. I, I detest Obamacare. Absolutely opposed to Obamacare. That doesn't mean I don't have believe that people have the right to, to, to health care, okay? I just don't like the form that he was proposing, so I fight against it. Again, we're talking about prudential judgment here. Charlie, you know where I'm going with this. I'd love totally. your comments. Well, if, if you listen carefully to what you're describing, I think it's very clearly um, you and others in your sphere 
offering genuinely Catholic teaching and rubbing up against those who have a an idolatrous commitment, let's call it what it is, an idol, right, to a different orthodoxy, right? So it it rubs up against a different orthodoxy. And it's, a, it's some cases, it's a conservative ortho, orthodoxy, a, a right-leaning orthodoxy. In other cases, it's a liberal or left-leaning orthodoxy, but it's a kind of orthodoxy. And you shall not infringe on it. And that's where I'm talking about the kind of idolatry. And, and I, let's call it also what it is. It's polytheism, right? So these, so these people, I think, sometimes genuinely believe they're Catholics in a very real way. I want to take them seriously. But they also have these other gods who are also sort of like circling or, or orbiting around them in some way. And sometimes they're like super Catholic on this issue. But other times there's this other orthodoxy, you know, conservative liberal orthodoxy, which is going to come in and, and call you a communist or call you um, a, a misogynist or something else that in intrudes on something else that they really hold as their, to use a fancy phrase, their source of ultimate concern. We're monotheists, right? We have Christ. We have the Holy Trinity. That's it. That's that's all we got. That's all we have. We have no other source of ultimate concern. That's where our ultimate concern lies. That's why our families in those places, due to our baptism, also ought to be our source of ultimate concern. But but to the extent that so many Catholics, so many Christians, so many people in the United States themselves have these other gods, right? That 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 essentially form a kind of polytheistic hierarchy. That we're going to have that again and again and again. But I'm I'm happy to say I see a, and this has been going on for a long time now. I'm happy I'm happy to say that I think we're seeing a kind of situation where the kind of um, adherence to right and left is not what it once was. I mean, I just saw a statistic recently that showed that over forty percent of people now identify as independent. If you ask them, Republican, Democrat, independent, and even those who identify as Republicans or or, or Democrats, they're often very critical of their own party. They're more they're more anti the other party than they are actually part of their own party. And so I actually see a hope. This is one reason I wrote the book. I see this hopeful moment for us to say, let's disengage with those false gods. Let's not have any commitment at all those false gods and work harder um, to, to be bound by the tradition and teachings of the church. And that's where unity and diversity can really come in. Again, there'll be disagreements about what kind of healthcare system we should have, about what we should be pushing for as an abortion law at this particular moment in time, about what a living wage should look like in any given moment. But if we're, if we're, if we're grounded in the teaching of the church and we reject these, these idols, these political idols, that's a recipe for unity and diversity. I want to throw something out before we I hand it over to Joe. Just a quick comment on what you said. It's just anecdotal, okay? That everybody who knows me knows I'm Catholic, okay? At work and everything else, okay? And 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 this speaks to what you just said. I'm pro-life, okay? I am an abortion abolitionist, Charlie. Okay, me too. Um, me too. And, and Joe is too. All right. Me too. Again, how you get there? Huh? I guess that's where we have to. Because you know you're not gonna let's let's be real. You're not abolishing abortion tomorrow, okay? Not in this um, part of the and, country, and, <laughs> right? And 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 other things. Obviously, you know, marriage, all of it, okay? But when I open now, everybody knows that about me. When I open my mouth and I talk about you know, let's say, for argument's sake, you know, talk about that I've been a union guy my whole life, okay? Um, I was a teamster. My father was a teamster for 35 years. My mother was um, was in a union when she worked for Essex County um, in uh, in Jersey. Um, and if I say, yeah, I'm pro-union, I don't like their abuses, but I'm certainly a pro-union, collective bargain, bargain, all that stuff, okay? People look at you like you got three heads. What are you talking about? Aren't you conservative? Yes, I am conservative. Yo, you're, you're pro-life. But, uh, yes, I am. I'm also pro-worker. I'm also pro-family. I also don't want to see people die in the street simply because they can't afford their doctor bill, which is caused in Joe, in my mind, by both the right and the left in the government, okay? Because um, that's a whole other conversation, Charlie. We'll have you on another time for that <laughs> one, okay? Um, but yeah, 
There's a preconceived notion when you take a position on a thing that you have to now fall in lockstep on 9,000 other things. Whereas I've applied my prudential judgment in these areas, and I've come to my decision based on what you said, Charlie, which is, okay, I'm Catholic. I, I, I have to put Christ first. Um, what's my view of minimum wage, let's say? What's my view of family wage? What's my view of unionization, of immigration? All of it, okay? If people, I guess my larger point, if people would bother to read, they might then question those idols that, 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 that they've built up and perhaps destroy those idols, which they should anyway. That was my not-so-short comment uh, on, on what you said. Quick comment, Charlie, then I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Yeah, very quick. Um, one of the reasons I think it's tough for people to make the move that I guess it's fair to say the three of us have made is it's it's sometimes lonely, right, to be in those spaces, right? Because you, when you are so clearly entrenched on one side or the other, you have your kind of bro love and your family of that part and you have your communities. And if you say things that piss them off or anger them or say, well, you're now cast out because you have these unorthodox or even heretical uh, views, um, it's maybe a tough place to be. And that's where I think the church needs to step up and say, again, be a family and say, you belong to this community. This is your family. It's not over there on the left or on the right, wherever these critical places are. Your your home is the church. That's uh, We have to work so hard to make people believe that's true. Absolutely. Charlie Camosi is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are way in the breach discussing his new book, One Church, How to Rekindle Trust, Negotiate Difference. That's, I think, the biggest thing we're talking about today, negotiating difference and reclaim Catholic unity. And we, yes, we do have to reclaim Catholic unity. Uh, Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? <clears throat> Charlie, you mentioned St. Paul. Now, St. Paul tells us that love is the most important thing, and it is. And if love is not at the heart of anything a Catholic does, it's a waste of time, a waste of time. Another thing that St. Paul talks about, and I think about this, is understanding. We have to bear with one another and be understanding of one another. And I'm going to give you an example. And I think we could do a better job of that collectively, particularly on social media, but in general. For instance, I believe as a Catholic, the tabernacle should be in a Right in front. I believe in a linear church. The tabernacle is straight ahead. However, the church has written that the tabernacle give, give, give two choices. It should be in the front or in a predominant place, a, a, a dominant place. Doesn't have to be in the front. That's what's written down. I've gone into churches where I don't even know where the tabernacle is. That bothers me. But I pray. I'm understanding. And I pray that that will change. And I believe it will because God will right the ship. Someone told me that many years ago. I was in adoration in a very, for lack of a better way, liberal Novus Ordo church. And people were making noise. And I was aggravated. And I was talking to a friend. And he said to me, pray to Our Lady of Sorrows. Think about how Our Lady looked on everybody, how they didn't get it. She was perfect. They didn't get it. When I pray the rosary, the last mystery of the resurrection, no one got it. She did. Did she tweet against them? Was she nasty? Or did she bear with them? Did she pray? You see, I could disagree with the priest where he puts the tabernacle, and I might just be right. Let's just put it that way. Not because it's me. 
but because Christ is the center of the church. But I'm not going to bash him. I have to be understanding of him. I have to love him, and I have to turn it over to Our Lady because ultimately there has to be a change of heart. That's what's lacking here, I think. We could have differences on certain things, and sometimes those differences are legit. But that doesn't give me a right to beat the snot out of someone verbally or condemn them or be nasty. That's what we're seeing. That's what shouldn't go on. And I think if we took another route, we'd get to where we were quicker. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, my writing, my current book project is um, I'm actually working with Ave Maria again on a moral theology, morality textbook for high school uh, juniors. And one of the things I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm imagining myself after research and talking with them about who's reading these things, I'm imagining that about 75% of them are either hostile or indifferent to the church. So that's the kind of audience I have in mind. And my goal, one of the main goals, in addition to helping teach the, the fullness of the faith that has been handed on to me and to so many others, is to help these 75% of people just hang on and stay with us and bear with us, right? Um, and not just totally reject the church. Um, so many people I know, including myself, I went through a difficult time in my 20s where I was basically an agnostic. Thank God people bore with me, right? And kept me attached. And 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 um, they had disagreements, of course, uh, but, but, but did not alienate me. Um, it's so important what you said to to not punt on the differences, right? Uh, I agree with you for what it's worth. Um, but to be the first to love and to love people no matter what and have the love of Christ be the center of our lives no matter what. And this means bearing with others in the way that you just described. And I just, I couldn't help but think not only of Paul, but of Peter again, the two pillars of the church, which I mentioned in the first segment. Think about who they were, Uh before they became Saints Peter and Paul, right? Paul was, of course, uh, Saul, who presided over the deaths of Christians, right? He, he, I think it's fair to say he was responsible, if not directly, indirectly, for the deaths of Christians. Then he became Saint Paul. Peter himself was a denier of Christ three times, of course, and was a blockhead most of the time. I think when we, when Peter um, got the nickname Rock from Jesus, some people think of it as Rocky, like a cool nickname. I think it was more like blockhead, right? Like he just didn't get it. Um, he became someone quite different, <laughs> right? He became the holder of the keys uh, against uh, against whom uh, the gates of hell will not prevail. Um, so those are just two very prominent examples, but there's numerous, dozens, hundreds, thousands of others, including many stories of saints, right, who started in a very different place than where they ended up. Thank God we had uh, people stay with them and keep them welcome and keep them in dialogue, keep them engaged. I, I fear so many people, especially engaging on social media, don't feel that at all. I, I agree with you on that. Um, and as Joe likes to point out all the time, there is a – now – this I don't want to I don't want to sound judgmental. Okay, there seems to be a lack of love, a lack of charity. Let me say it like that. I don't know what's in someone's heart, but you know some of the stuff you see, you go, yeah, they go, oh, like, oh my gosh, like, 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 why did you say that to that person? Like, um, you know, like direct personal insults. I would say this from my own personal experience. 
I have a dear friend of mine uh, who uh, who's an atheist. Okay, he fell away from the church. Okay, He's younger than me. Um, and first of all, I, as alluding to what Joe said, I pray for him. Okay, um, I pray for him by name for his reversion to the church. If I start talking to him about going to hell, I'm not going to bring him into the church. And I and hell is a reality. I'm not. I would never deny that. There's a heaven. There's a hell. Jesus is the savior. What is he saving you from? Hell. Okay. But if you start there, I'm losing him. I'm not going to be able to bring him. Uh, I'm not going to be able to even plant the seed. Okay. Because we know the Holy Spirit is the one who does the conversion and the reversion. Okay. But I won't even be able to plant the seed if I start from. If you don't come back to the church, you're going to hell. Say that to an atheist. They're going to laugh at you. You know. That's like John in his gospel, Charlie Camosi joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. He, he wrote, started his gospel, you know, using the language of Greek philosophy. Because if he starts talking to them about gene Jewish genealogies, they're going to go, what the heck is this? They're going to they're throw the book on the side. You have to know your audience, okay? Um, and, and, you know, that's, um, that, that, that's my, my little rant on that because um, – I, but but I, I was going somewhere with this um, because I really want to ask you because I could hear people out there. Oh, this is a real sappy conversation between Charlie Camosi and and the, <laughs> and the two Joes from New Jersey. They're just talking about dialogue and and, and all this. No, 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 no. We have very definite views about where we want the conversation to go. We want to arrive at a point, and this is what I want your comment on, Charlie. You mentioned Peter. You mentioned Paul. Okay, Paul rebukes Peter to his face. Okay, said you're wrong. Okay. Peter made the decision. The dialogue happened. Peter got in his face. Oh, excuse me. Paul got in his face and rebuked him to his face. Okay. The dialogue took place right there. Peter made the decision. And when the decision was reached, it was received with joy by the church. Okay. I want you to hash that out a little bit. See, we don't just have sappy conversations. We can have you on the show and others. Let's say we could have, if he ever agreed to it, um, I don't think he ever would. We could have Father James Martin come on if he wants to talk about homosexuality. We could have a a, a quasi-pro-abortion or pro-choice Catholic on, okay, if they want to talk about it. But we could do that, okay? We have no problem doing that, all right? Um, but at the end of the day, okay, um, you have to arrive. I mean, all these questions, the dialogue, the back and forth has to move closer, if not arrive, at the truth of a thing. What are your that's thoughts right. on that? Yeah. What are your thoughts on well, that? Well, that, that's why this is not at all a sappy conversation or pie in the sky. Um, it's the most realistic, you know, real politic, if you will, conversation you can possibly have, which is what is going to work, right? What is going to work to bring people to the truth of the Catholic Church? Uh, we know what doesn't work, right? <laughs> what doesn't work is you laid out several examples, but what, what definitely does not work is hammering someone again and again in the most personal way possible, alienating them from the church in a way that they can't even possibly imagine how they would come back, right? Because they've been treated so horribly. I got to tell you, one of the things that makes me hopeful about the future of the church is there are so many opportunities for reversion. I was kind of a revert myself. Again, I went through maybe somewhat typical kind of agnosticism in my 20s, just trying to figure things out. And now I'm a very orthodox Catholic moral theologian, right? I had a deep, profound return to the faith. Um, and there are so many people out there who are 
in a golden spot for something like that for but if they are it's because people did not give up on them it's because they did not castigate them because they did not anger them to the point where they couldn't possibly return so it this is about reality it's not about just emoting and saying i'm right you're wrong and you're not not only wrong but you're ridiculous and you're all you're all these things that people call each other on social media and other places it's about love of christ offered in truth right the truth offered in love in a way that could actually work. And that's the most realistic, non-sappy, non-sentimental um, way of approaching this at all. I you know, talk- I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but I, I, I couldn't help but think in my mind how Jesus just on one level did things. Out in the public, he's, you know, he, he didn't, he never contradicted himself. That's impossible for Jesus. Okay. When he was out there in the public arena, okay, he, he, he made the truth abundantly clear, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and many, many other things to let people know I'm here to save you. I'm here to save you from the fires of hell and, and bring you to, to, to the father. I'm here to bring you to the father. Okay. But then individually, when he sat down with people, what did he do then? He told them stories. Right. He, he 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 listened to them. He 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 he, he, that, he did not water down his message. He just took a different tactic. He ate and, and then, drank with them. He sat at table yes. with them. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, I think that's the way to do it. I'm never gonna I'm never gonna deny Christ. I'm never gonna deny the the, the, the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church ever. Okay. But when I'm talking to somebody individually, one on one. You have to be able to pivot and and find the way. Paul says you have to become all things to all people. Well, you right. better find out what which thing you're going to be, you know, based on who you're talking to. Okay, and I think that, I think that at least that's what I try to do. If I'm, you know, if we're on the show, you know, I'm going to say one thing, and again, because we're, be, we're you know, you're behind the camera, you know. But when you're one on one, you have to remember you're talking to a living, breathing human being who you're trying to bring into the tr- fullness of truth in the Catholic Church. You're going to have to take a different tactic. Um, Joe Rasinello, I cut you off. I apologize. That's okay. I, I want to talk about, I think, the solution, what the solution is. You talked about accompaniment. I think we're going about it the wrong way. Accompaniment doesn't mean that I enable you to sin. I'm going to give you the proper understanding of accompaniment is the missionaries of charity. They have a very high standard. They believe everything the church teaches. They admit they minister to the to the poorest of the poor, both physically and spiritually. People who went to prison, people who have been transvestites, people who have committed horrendous crimes, and they get baptized. Why? They hold the standard. I've been to mass with them. They don't let those men receive the Eucharist if they're in a state of gra- not in a state of grace, but they're in mass. They take them to adoration. They love them. They feed them. They clothe them. They talk to them. They give them attention. That's accompaniment. My standard is here, but you're my friend, and I love you just the way you are, but I love you so much I'm not going to leave you there. How do we get to that place is the next question. Well, I mean— The Eucharist. The Eucharist. We well, have to get of- people in front of Jesus. And and I'm going to like that's the only way. It's example and it's getting people in front of Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you right now what we're seeing with accompaniment that's not mercy. I'm not going to enable you to sin. If you leave your wife Charlie and you marry another woman, I'm not going to tell you that that's good. 
I'm not, but I'll still be your friend. I'll go to breakfast with you. I'll have coffee with you. I'll be your friend. I'll pray for you. I'll encourage you to go to adoration. And that's accompaniment. And I'll set an example for you that you will see peace, joy. That's where we find unity. And that's how the church is brought together through holiness. Your thoughts. Totally agree. A million percent. And again, this is a theme, a good theme of our conversation. It's an imitation of Christ, right? It's, it's Christ who, um, you know, with the woman who is caught in adultery saying he is without sin, cast the first stone, uh, but also very explicitly saying to her, go and sin no more. Um, So uh, again, it's not a sappy kind of caritas out there. Like, you all love everyone. It's it's caritas and veritate, right? It's charity and truth. And it's it's loving somebody enough to tell them the truth, but to do it in a way that actually has a chance to succeed, right? That actually is not just about a kind of performative emoting of one's negative feelings online or in some other context, but a genuine love for the person, right? Not punting on truth, quite the opposite. It's partly, it's all because of love that we offer the truth. But what you just described is genuine accompaniment, and I understand what you're saying. There are many examples out there who, of, of accompaniment that doesn't do that. Um, but I, again, I, I'm very hopeful. I think there's more and more people who are able to say things like, I am going to accompany you, I am going to love you, and I'm also going to find a way to tell you the truth and to show you the truth. And that's where we need to be. That's unity and diversity for sure. Let me ask you this, Charlie Camosi. We only have a couple minutes left. Telling the truth is not exactly the most popular thing to do nowadays. Okay, you say the truth of certain things, you get canceled. You get, you know, you get again. We're we're going to rope you into a little bit of of the culture war in the last couple minutes. Okay, and there is one. We we define it obviously as Catholics as a spiritual battle, the battle that we have to face. Okay, and we have to fight. Um, but speak again. I, I really want your comments. Speaking the truth is not in vogue. Okay. Even even to the point where the truth is plain as the nose on your face, where you don't need a PhD or any other diploma on the wall. You just have to believe your lying eyes, okay? And you're out. You could be fired. You could be ostracized. You ought to be ostracized, all right? Uh, by, by some. How do we deal with that? Because it, you're talking about dialogue. You're talking about communication, Charlie Camosi, okay? You're talking about sitting down with people. There's people, if you want to ask them certain questions, you are automatically talk about labels. You are a hater for even asking a particular question. I'm really interested in, in, in the final couple minutes. How do we get over that hurdle if we can't even get to the table and ask some difficult questions? Well, I don't know if you have these issues in mind, but if they're related to abortion and sex and gender, um, I, I very much agree with with that that context and that situation and i've well, been i think those- charlie real quick i think it's it, it pertains to other things but i think primarily that's what we're talking about we're talking about yeah. the, the gender ideology and, and and abortion yeah so as a moral theologian who's tried to speak the truth on these things uh in love i know exactly what you're talking about there are certain there are certain folks certain groups um certain those uh, groups with power who will simply use power to shut you down and we ought to not forget the cross right um <laughs> Christians have to pick up their cross and follow Jesus at the end of the day. Um, But again, uh, it's not sappy at all. It's not uh, unrealistic at all what we're talking about here. It is the most realistic thing to say, how can I best speak this truth in a way that could actually be heard by the people who need to hear it? And I got to tell you, the most fundamental 
barrier that I have found anyway when it comes to this, both with abortion and when it comes to sex and gender, is people don't understand that we're doing this out of love, that it comes from a genuine love and concern for the people we want to engage. And if we can convince people of that, and that takes time sometimes, right? It takes a willingness to engage over time in relationships where coffee was mentioned, meals are mentioned, going to church together and praying together is mentioned. If over time, the people we're engaging do really believe that we love them, then that prepares the ground for them to hear the truth. But if it's just, again, a kind of like shooting from the hip, kind of, again, slapping labels and pronouncing anathemas, that simply is not going to work. And it's not, again, a kind of naive, oh, lovey-dovey, we all love everyone. It's a love that exists in truth, but is as wise as serpents and, and peaceful as doves, right? It, it It's about trying to have something that works to engage those we disagree with. And Absolutely. And the, the, Charlie, the, we have... Charlie, I'm sorry. We're on radio. We got to get out of here. We're up against that time limit. Charlie, where can folks uh, follow you on social media? At C. Camosi on Twitter. You could also go to charlescamosi.com. Absolutely. Charles's book, One Church, How to Rekindle Trust, Negotiate Difference, and Reclaim Catholic Unity. That's available at Ave Maria Press. Charlie Camosi, you are welcome back on the front line with Joe and Joe anytime, brother. Thank you so much for this very lively conversation. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app and share it with your friends so you have access to all of our station's content. And Joe and I primarily on social media, the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube and at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Please help us out. Click something that's going to help us out with the algorithms. And remember, till next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.